And I wanted to end our series. We're in this series called Apprentices of Jesus and learning about uh, the things that Jesus taught his disciples. And we're going to take a little bit of a sidetrack here for the first half of the message and go to the Old Testament for a little bit. We're going to have another New Testament story. And at the very end, we're going to get to how Jesus taught his disciples as we close out this series, look into Father's Day next week. So uh, I'm going to jump straight into the word of God today. And the message is simply titled, House of Prayer. Somebody say, House of Prayer. Come on, Isaiah 56, 7 says this. This is God talking through the prophet Isaiah. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now this is hundreds of years before Jesus gets onto the scene. Uh, God is uh, prophesying through Isaiah, and he's saying, my house will be called a house of prayer. Jesus comes on the scene. He gets into the temple in Jerusalem. You might know this story. This is where Jesus comes in and flips over the tables, right? Everybody loves to hear this story. I don't know about you, uh, but if Jesus comes in and starts flipping my tables, I'm going to be real terrified, okay? I don't know. You've probably seen somebody angry in your life. You've probably seen your mama or your daddy angry at you when you were a kid. You've probably seen your spouse angry at some point. You've probably seen your children angry, but I do not ever want to be on the other side of the wrath of Jesus. Come on. I ain't trying to mess with that. Uh-uh. So we go all the way to Mark eleven seventeen. We get there, but I'm going to set it up for you. So he goes into the, uh, into the temple and there was what was known as the outer courts. The Gentiles, the people that were not Jews, were actually not allowed into some areas because it was known as holy. And God said, hey, it's going to be a house of prayer. There's certain, you know, things that you have to do, certain ways that you're going to worship me in my house. And so the Gentiles, non-Jews, were not allowed in some areas. And so the outer courts area is where they would gather to pray if they believed in the one true God like we do, right? And so they would come in to pray, but here's the problem. This outer court area had been turned into a marketplace, it had been turned into a place where they were buying and selling and, and people came in there trying to profit off of, it's like a tourist trap essentially is what they were doing. They brought all these Gentiles in and they had a tourist trap. You know, you ever been on vacation before and you go to these tourist areas and what do you find? You find a bunch of vendors lining up the streets trying to sell you some like real shady stuff, okay? You know what I'm talking about? And they're charging you enormous prices and you buy it. You buy those corny t-shirts. Why? Because you got to get one for your kid back home, right? It's $25. You know that thing is not made well, but you're going to buy it anyway, right? And so this is what they're doing. They're charging enormous prices for these things and just ripping people off. And this place that is supposed to be a house of prayer. So Jesus comes in. He starts flipping over the tables. He angry. He is not having it. He don't like it one bit. And he starts, after he does all this, to teach them a little lesson about the Bible. It says in Mark eleven seventeen, and And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Ouch. That ain't cool. He is not happy with these people at all, and he told it to them straight. This is one of the only times where we see Jesus have a massive righteous anger within him. And so he gets real angry. And I find it interesting that God and Jesus both reaffirm and define God's house as what? A house of what? Prayer. 
Uh, there's so many things that they could define it as. There's so many things that we could define the church of Jesus Christ as. Maybe he could have defined it as a, as a house of hope. That would have been great. Like, this is a house of hope for all people. Amen? Uh, this is a house of healing. This is a house of faith. Maybe you could define it as a house of singing. Like we like to sing in church. Amen? We love to sing around here. This is going to be a house of worship and a house of singing. It could be a house of preaching. as a house of the word of God, right? They, he could have defined it as all of these different things. But what does God and Jesus choose to define the house of God as? He says it is a house of prayer. He's saying in this moment as he's flipping these tables, you got to imagine Jesus in this moment. He's like, guys, you got it all wrong. Like, don't you see how important this place is? Don't you see what it is that we're supposed to be doing here? We're supposed to be praying and seeking after the face of God, and you guys are making this place into a marketplace. You're charging these enormous prices, a tourist trap, and the people that are trying to come and pray and connect with me, now you're making it hard for them to do that because there's a chicken clucking right over here next to them. He's saying this is so important, and you guys are missing it. That the house of God is supposed to be a place where we pray and we seek the kingdom of God together. And we do a great job of singing in the church, right? We do a great job of having preaching in the word and, and having community with one another. All these things are great. But how much are we praying together? Let me ask you, how much are we praying with one another? How much are we praying for one another when we come into this place? I think many people get uncomfortable when we start talking about praying for one another and praying with one another. And yet, this is the primary thing that Jesus and God the Father says that we are to do when we come together in church. And yet, when you look at the schedule of most of our church services, what does it look like? Worship, preaching, hanging out in the lobby, and donuts. Maybe a little bit of prayer sprinkled throughout, right? Like, a little bit. And yet, God says the primary thing is to pray with one another and pray for one another. Interesting, right? There isn't anything wrong with living your life. There's nothing wrong with Jesus is, is not saying that you can't buy and sell things. He's not saying that you can't live your life. He's not saying you can't go and, and have soccer practice and do all these other things in your life and, and whatever it might be. But what he's saying is that when we come to the house of God, we need to prioritize prayer. Somebody say, amen. This is to be a house of prayer. And so I have one point for you today. If you are taking notes, which I encourage you do this morning, you might come back to something later. It is simply this. A praying church is a powerful church. Somebody say, a praying church is a powerful church. I'm going to take you to the New Testament now in the book of Acts. So Jesus has already gone on to heaven. He's already been raised again. He's been with his disciples for a while. He went to heaven. Pentecost has already happened. The Holy Spirit has fallen. They start doing ministry. And we're in Acts 12, so the church is growing now. We see there's many more people believing in this Jesus that has died but was raised and it sits at the right hand of the Father now. And so this message about Jesus is really starting to spread. King Herod does not like this. King Herod, not a great dude, all right? He does not like Christians. He doesn't like what they represent. He doesn't like that they're gaining popularity and that they're taking uh, attention away from himself. So he starts to persecute the church. And he starts to put some people in prison. And it's met with praise among the Jews. Uh, remember, the Jews are the ones that killed Jesus, right? His own people put him on the cross. And so uh, they put him on the cross. And so Herod is, is seeing that the Jews are like, hey, we are definitely down for you to put all these Christians in jail. 
And so he says, you know what? What is the one person, if I go after this one person and I get him in jail, it's really going to mess things up for them. Peter, the disciple that is leading everything now. He is the leader of this new church in so many ways. Peter has been kind of the spearhead of, of, of riding to churches and being with churches and leading the church in so many ways. And so Herod thinks, if I can get Peter in prison, we're really going to mess with these Christians. We're really going to discourage them from continuing and the things that they're doing right now. And so how does the church respond? Peter gets thrown in prison. How does the church respond? Do they say, oh, no, Peter's in prison. What are we going to do? <laughs> Peter is God. He's our leader. I don't, what are we going to do? Guys, I have no idea what we're going to do. Peter's gone. He's in prison. Herod got him. Herod got him. He got to him. No, that's not what they did. Absolutely not. What is the first thing that they do? The Bible says they gathered together as a church and prayed. They gathered together. They earnestly prayed. It says in Acts 12, 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Somebody say, earnestly. That's not a word I would use quite often, but it says they earnestly prayed for Peter. Some other translations of this word I really like. Another translation says they fervently prayed for Peter. It was unceasing prayer for Peter. It was constant prayer for Peter. And my favorite one is that it was intense prayer for Peter. Intense. I want to ask you a question. When's the last time that you prayed intensely about something? When's the last time that you prayed constantly about something? When you really sought after God's face in a situation in your life, or when maybe when somebody is sick and they're in the hospital, or somebody is in need of, of a job, or, or your marriage is in trouble, or your kids are, are acting a fool and they need Jesus. Come on, when's the last time that you really, really prayed fervently, persistently, consistently, and intensely about something in your life? Well, that's what the church of Jesus Christ is doing right now for Peter. So who are you praying for? Are you praying for your spouse? Are you praying for your kids? Listen, I need you to understand here today that you need to pray for your family and pray for people around you like their life depends on it because it does. It does. It really does. We believe as Christians there is a real heaven, there is a real hell. And what do we believe about those places? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Amen? And so if we really believe that, we got to be praying for people around us, man, that they would find hope and life and experience Jesus the same way that we have. Come on, somebody. I need to pray for people like their life depends on it. I need to pray with my son like his life depends on it. Listen, when we pray uh, for somebody that needs a job, we say, Lord, help them. Come on, find a job. In the name of Jesus, amen. When you pray for somebody that has cancer, how are you praying for them? Lord, Jesus, help this person right now. I speak healing in the name of Jesus over this person. You really get into that, right? That's some intense prayer, you know what I mean? You're really praying. Why? Because their life depends on it. And yet we pray for a physical disease like their life depends on it, but we don't pray for eternal matters like our life depends on it. Come on, we got to pray for our kids like their lives depend on it because they are going one place when they die. And I need to pray with my son and pray for my daughter and pray for my wife and pray for the people around me that don't know Jesus that they would have an experience with God that changes their life forever. Amen? Come on, Peter. He gets miraculously released from prison. At first he thought it was a dream. He did. 
he, he thought it was a vision or a dream, and, and he gets these chains broken off, and there's an angel there, and, and he finally gets released. And he, I imagine he was probably asleep, you know. He was just kind of like crusty-eyed, you know, he's trying to get up. He's like, oh, okay, cool, like this is happening. And so he finally realizes, oh, this is real. This isn't a dream. Yeah, have you ever been in that moment where you thought like you were dreaming, but then you realized it was real life? Maybe your kids have done that before. Like they wake up in the middle of the night because they're peeing in the fridge. You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? Like, oh my God, what are you, are you sleepwalking? And they're just like, oh, 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 this is real. Okay, cool, you know? They do some weird things, man. And so, uh, but I've been in that moment before. And so Peter finally, it says it dawned on him uh, that he was actually in real life being released from prison by an angel. And I'm gonna read this passage to you about what the church is doing and what happens in that moment. It's in Acts 12, 12 through 17. When this had dawned on him that he was, it was really happening, he was being released from prison, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Now, how many of you have ever had that happen to you in real life? You'd be knocking at the door. Maybe the kid runs over. You're like, go answer the door, okay? And then your kid, my son, Oakland, he loves to answer. He runs over to the door, and he's like, Nana's here. Nana's here. She's at the door. And he's like running around. He's all so excited and everything. I'm like, son, open the door. And he's like, Nana's here. Open the door, son. And she's just standing there like pressing the ring doorbell like a thousand times. Like, will somebody please let me in? It is 100 degrees out here. Somebody help me. And so this is what happens. She runs back. She's so excited. And what do they say to her? They say, you are out of your mind, they told her. You are crazy, lady. There is no way that Peter is at the door. He is in prison that's why we're praying so much is that he would get out of prison, right? Like, obviously, Rhoda, we're praying for him to get out of prison. There's no, think about this for a second. Come on, guys. So uh, Peter kept on knocking. Guys, please let me in. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. Then he left for another place. So Peter finally gets in the house because somebody decided to finally let him in. And he comes in and everybody's freaking out. Peter, you're here. You got out of prison. He's like, well, y'all please shut it. Oh my goodness. I just escaped prison. I would not like to go back. Can you please chill out? All right, relax. I'm here. It's me. Shut up. <laughs> Calm down. He's telling everybody to be quiet. Just tell everybody what happened. Tell them I'm here. I got to go do some other stuff. I'll see you guys later. Thank you for praying for me. I think it is so interesting that the church gets together. Peter's in prison. They're like, we got to pray. We got to fervently pray. We're going to seek after the face of God. We're going to get Peter out of prison. And then Peter gets out of prison, and they didn't even believe that God did the thing that they were praying for. They didn't even believe it. They said, you are out of your mind. Ain't no way Peter's at the door. Well, why not? That's what you've been praying for. Why wouldn't he be at the door? Did you not believe that God could do it? Church of Jesus Christ in Acts 12? Like, we're 2,000 years later. They, some of these people knew Jesus, right? I mean, come on, man. These are some disciples that are in this place, like that walked and talked with Jesus, and even they already were not believing that God could do miracles. Like, come on, what is going on here, guys? You've seen some amazing things. We're praying, we're believing, and what's going on here? And so how many times are we praying in our lives and not believing that God is going to respond? 
Be honest with yourself for a second. How many times have you prayed? And you're praying and you just feel like you're doing it just because you got to. I'm praying just because I feel like I'm supposed to. That's what the Bible says I need to do. Or you're praying and maybe you feel like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and bouncing right back to you. You don't really feel like that anything's happening. And when you're honest with yourself, you don't really believe that God can actually change the situation that you are in. Let me encourage you guys real quick with a couple of verses. In James 1.6 it says, but when you ask, when you ask, when you pray, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And in Mark 11, it says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their hearts, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Listen, what is this saying? Don't just pray to pray, y'all. Pray with some purpose. Pray with some conviction. Pray with some faith that God is who he says he is and that God can do what he said he can do and that God will respond when we pray the prayer of faith. Come on, I need somebody in this place to understand that if you will get on your knees and pray fervently to God, pray consistently to God, that God will respond to you, amen. God is listening, he is looking for somebody that will not just pray once and say, oh, okay, God, I help, help the situation, amen. No, God is wanting somebody that is persistent in prayer, that's fervent, that's intense in their prayer, and that wants to connect with him in a way that God will say, hey, you know what? That person really needs me. This person is really consistent. This person I'm gonna respond to. Why? Because they're being persistent. They're being consistent. They're trying to talk to me and connect with me. Man, I will honor that. I'll be faithful to that because, man, this person has shown that they're faithful to me, I will be faithful right back to them. God wants some people that are willing to sit in the quiet place and sit in the secret place and be with Jesus. Not somebody that's looking for a laundry list of things. Hey, God, can you help me here? 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 No, God wants somebody that says, you know what? I'm gonna sit with you. I'm gonna honor you. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna praise you. Yes, God, I'm gonna bring my request to you. I believe that God responds when we pray. Have some faith, y'all, that when you pray that God is going to actually answer. It says this in the Bible. It says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Come on, somebody say powerful and effective. Now, if that's the case, how much more powerful and effective are the prayers of a righteous church? Think about it. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. One, how much more power would we have if we in unity get together praying for one thing, the same direction, praying for the same things, believing for the same things, how much more powerful, how much more effective would our prayers be if we came together corporately and prayed for those things? Think about it. I believe that there's so much more power that is had when we pray together about the same thing, when we are in unity over the same thing. I want our church to be marked by prayer. I want our church to be a house 
of prayer. Come on, if you agree with me, say amen. I want our church to be a place where people know that they can come here and find freedom, find healing, get prayed for. Not that they're just going to come in here and have all of life's troubles and everybody's going to ignore it and say, how are you doing today? Blessed and highly favored. You know what I mean? It's like, no, you're going through some stuff. Let's pray for that. Let's believe God for healing. Let's believe God for a new job. Let's believe God for provision. Man, I'm telling you, there was four people this morning, four in our first service that came to me and said, man, I am in need of a job right now. Just got laid off. Just got laid off. Another person quit my job because of this. I'm in need of a new job. And I'm like, hey, let's pray. And they were all like, man, I, I needed that this morning. I needed that prayer. I'm believing that God's going to get me the right job and he's going to lead me to the right place and I'm going to feel fulfilled in whatever this is. Man, God wants that for you. But you got to tell him. You got to ask. This church will be marked by prayer. Everything starts and ends with it. Why? Because Jesus said this is a house of prayer. And so this church, Radical Church, will be a house of prayer. And why do we do this for another reason? It's because we believe that prayer changes things. We believe that prayer works. And if you don't, then man, we got some work. I will tell you right now, prayer changes things. It changes your atmosphere. It changes uh, the atmosphere and that's around you in your home when you start praying in your home. Matthew 7 says this, 7 through 8, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be open. When you pray in faith, God will respond. You have to believe that. And if you don't think that prayer works, it's no wonder your prayer life stinks. Think about it. You're like, man, I don't really pray enough. Do you believe that prayer works? Maybe. Well, that makes sense. If you didn't think that something worked, it makes sense that you wouldn't do it. If you weren't so sure about it, let me tell you right now, prayer works. I can tell you in my life, so many times when I have prayed to God in a situation, God has shown up powerfully. In our church, this church would not be here if it was not for prayer. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it was not for people praying for me. You would not be here today, many of you, and your walk with Christ, if it was not for your parents or your grandma or your grandpa that was praying for you, and you already know because you were cray-cray, okay? You needed some prayer. You know what I'm talking about. Prayer works. And so, man, if you are realizing, man, I don't really pray a lot, I don't pray a Listen, you have to start at the root of the issue. It's not that you just need to pray more and you need to get in the habit of doing it just to do it. No, no, no. We need to get to the root of it. And it's like, what do you think about God? What is your understanding of God and who he is? Because if you understand that God is real and that God is good and he gives good gifts to his children, the Bible says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. And it says in the Bible that we are supposed to ask God for the things that we need. We're supposed to bring our requests to God. That's what the word says. So if he wants us to actually bring our requests to him, and we know all this about God, why don't we do it? I think many times, it's like my son, right? Uh, we, we, we don't want to use our words. We just kind of want to like hope that God will figure it out for us, right? Oakland, a lot of times, my four-year-old, he'll just come up to me and he'll look at me and be like, I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> what do you want? Every parent knows already. What do you want? And he's like, 
okay, son, what does that mean? And he's like, <laughs> like, okay, you're adding a little bit every time, but it's still not helping. And then what does every parent say? Son, use your words. Use your words. Use your mouth. Tell me what it is that you want. And then he's like, I want M&Ms. And I say, no. <laughs> I ruined the illustration there, right? Come on, anyway. But tell me what it is that you want. I feel like this is what God is trying to get across to us so many times. God is sitting there on the other side of the door waiting for you to knock. He's waiting on the other side of your seeking. He's ready for you to find him. He's ready to give you a good gift, but you haven't asked. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. You haven't asked. And we like to sit back and be like, well, God already knows what I want and need. That's what the Bible says. Yeah, but it doesn't say that you should not ask because he already knows. Man, it says bring your requests to God. Let them be made known so that God can then bless you. God wants to have that relationship with you. He wants you to use your words. The same way a parent, we try to get our kids to use their words all the time. Man, we can't be mind readers, okay? Like even in marriage, you know what I'm talking about. Like your wife wants you to know the exact thing that she wants you to do in that moment. All the men said amen, okay? You know what I'm talking about. Like, would you please just use your words and like explain to me? And she's like, you should already know. And I'm like, yeah, I probably should, but please help me. I don't know, you know? And this is what God wants for us. Use your words, express the things, bring your requests to God. Man, if you have somebody in your life that needs healing, ask God. If you need a miracle of finances in your life, if you need a job, bring it to God. Man, I remember when we first moved here, you know, this is my, I would call this my hometown. My family moved here in 2000, my grandparents 2000, my, my parents and my family in 2007. I went and did ministry for a long time and we came back in 2019. We're getting ready to plant the church. Two days after we moved here, I had no money. We, we had nothing. We're living with my parents over in Plum Creek and it was great. And so we had no money and I actually started uh, the Chick-fil-A over here. I was one of the very first employees, like the very first we trained and opened this Chick-fil-A in Kyle. And then the same thing with uh, the Applebee's. I was not one of the first, but one of the first Applebee's employees. And I was like, I mean, I could go back and work at Chick-fil-A or Applebee's. I really don't want to do that. I feel like that's not what the Lord has for me. And I was freaking out when we first moved here. I said, we got no money. Lindsay said, have you prayed about it? I was like, oh. <laughs> she was like, for real? You're the pastor of this new church that we're about to start. You haven't even prayed about the finances of our family. And I was like, okay, you can stop now. Thank you very much. I get it. All right. You know, and so I went and I got on my knees that night. I was desperate, fervently praying. I said, God, help me. I need something. I don't want to go back to this. I feel like there's something else out there for me. And then the next day I got a call from a friend in Oklahoma who I had known at the church up there. And she said, hey, you need a full-time job. I know you're starting the church, but you don't have a job, right? I was like, nah. She said, I got a lot of marketing stuff for you. Here's five clients right now. I went from making $0 to making more money than I was making at the church in Oklahoma like that, fully remote, full-time, was able to support my family six months into the starting of our church. I didn't even have to take a salary from this church because we had more than enough. Pray, use your words, ask God. When I was 19, 
I told this story a few times. I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but uh, there was a, a moment in my life where I feel like God called me to just consecrate myself. It was a beautiful time. About two months, I prayed every night and read my Bible every night from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. You heard that right, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. I was working at a church at the time, and I just felt like that's something God was calling me to do. And I was asking him, I said, Lord, give me people in my life that I can that I can pour into, that I can love on. Give me dreams while I sleep. Give me visions uh, to, to see people that I need to come across and, and to love on and to give a word of encouragement. People that I can pray for to be healed and, and different things like that. God, would you help me uh, to bring your angels? And, and I would put the Bible on as I slept. I would have the Morgan Freeman NIV version on the Bible app. You know, talking about read it to me. It was amazing. It's like, and the Lord said, you know, like it was great. I would have it on all night. And so then finally, after about a month and a half, two months of this, God wakes me up in the middle of the night, 4 a.m. I'd only been asleep for two hours. God wakes me up and gives me a vision of this kid in Whataburger I'm supposed to go pray for. I said, absolutely not. It's 4 a.m. Try to go back to sleep. How many of y'all know you ain't going back to sleep after seeing a vision of some kid with crutches you need to go pray for in Whataburger? Ain't happening, okay? I don't want to get into the whole story here. But here's the, the moral of the story is that I had been praying for two months fervently for this thing. And then God finally answers, shows me what I'm supposed to do. And I was like, nah, I don't want to. I'm tired. God finally got me up out of bed and I found that kid in that Whataburger and prayed for him. It was amazing. 4.45 in the morning. And so this is what I want to encourage you with today is that, Corporately, we're supposed to be a house of prayer. But how many of you know the Bible says that you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are now a house of prayer. That God wants you personally to be a house of prayer. So you might say, well, how do I pray? I want everybody to stand in this place today. We're gonna pray together. Before we take communion, there's, there's a famous prayer that Jesus led his disciples in, and we've traditionalized it a little bit. It's called the Lord's Prayer. I want us to, as a church, corporately pray this prayer together. If you know it, great. If you don't, it'll be on the screen for you. It goes like this. It says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I don't know about you, but praying together like that, corporately, all in unity, I feel the presence of God in that. I don't know about you. There's something special when God's people get together to pray and to have faith and believe God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. Let me quickly break this down before we take communion. At the beginning of it, it says, our father who art in heaven. I find it interesting that he says, our father, not my father. Not give me this day my daily bread. It's our daily bread, our father. It is this element of corporate unity already at the very beginning. It's, hey, we're doing this together. We're in this thing together. And then it's addressing God, our Father who art in heaven. 
Like there's the one true God we believe that Jesus is the way to get to the Father. There's not a hundred gods. There's not the God of the earth and the God of the, the ocean. No, no, no. There is one God. And then the second step in this prayer is to worship. It says, hallowed be thy name. That's basically saying, hey, your name is worthy. Your name is great. There's power in your name. That's worship. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What is that? That's acknowledging that God's ways are higher than my ways. I want your will, not my will. On earth as it is in heaven, bring heaven down to earth. I don't want my solutions. I don't want good solutions. I want God's solutions. Amen? Give us this day our daily bread. Now, after all of that, now we get to the ask part. Now we get to the requests. After we've blessed the Lord, we've worshiped him, we've acknowledged him in so many ways, now we ask God for what we need. So many of us, sometimes we feel bad about asking God for what we need because we feel like that's all we do. Man, listen, there's so much more to prayer than just asking God. But man, don't leave it out because you feel bad about it. Ask, bring your request to God. Give us this day our daily bread. Thank you for providing for me and my family. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. What is that? That's confession. Hey, God, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for the times I've gone wrong. Help me also to forgive others who have wronged me. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is deliverance. We're asking for deliverance from sin, deliverance from our old way of life, deliverance from Satan and his plans. We don't want Satan and his plans. We did that series, Not Today, Satan, right? We're saying, hey, not today, Satan. I am living for Jesus, amen. I want God's will and God's plans for my life, God's plans for my family, not what Satan wants. He wants death, destruction, but God wants life and life more abundant. So that's what we ask for there. And then for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What is that? That's awe. That is reverence. God, it's your kingdom, your power, your authority, not mine. I submit to you as king. And I'm in awe of who you are. And then amen simply means let it be done. That's what that word means. Let it be so. Let it be done. This is how Jesus encourages us to pray together corporately, but also on your own time, at your house, with your kids. Man, yesterday I had a great time of prayer with my son, Oakland. I was, I was sitting crisscross applesauce on the floor in my home office and just listening to worship music and praying. And he comes in and he wanted to play, he wanted to preach with me first. He's like, Daddy, are we preaching? I said, no, we're praying because I ain't preaching before I pray. And so he sat down on the ground, he wanted to play guitar. He's like, get your guitar, daddy. So he brings his guitar out. He's like, get your guitar. I was like, son, I'm not worshiping before I pray. <laughs> I'm going to pray. Right now I'm praying. It's like, well, you want to pray with me? All right, cool. So I put my hand on his head. I'm start praying for him. I said, hey, let's pray for mommy. We start praying for mommy. I said, let's pray for Tegan. We start praying for our one-year-old, you know, Tegan. And we start praying for our friends and for our church and everything. And we had this amazing time of prayer, just me and my son together. We need to have those moments with our family. We need to have those moments with our church, praying together. If you don't have those, get them because your life and their life depends on it. Amen. I wanna ask you today, if you have a need in this place, I want to pray for you. I want you to be bold and say, hey, I have a need. I got something going on in my life that I need prayer for. And then we're gonna take communion together. I'm gonna give you the opportunity as well. Maybe you need to get right with God. 
You say, hey, I, I know I need to be right with Jesus today. I haven't been living uh, the way that I know I need to be. I, I wanna say yes to Jesus. I understand that he died for me on the cross. He took all my sins on his shoulders and he loves me, he cares for me. Let me encourage you, God loves you. If you don't know that, let me be the first one to tell you. If you've never been told, man, God loves you so much and he wants to have that relationship with you. And you say, hey, pastor, I know I need to get right with God today. Maybe you rededicate your life to him or maybe this is the very first time. Or maybe you just have somebody in your life that's sick. They, they, they you know, have cancer or have some kind of issue in their body. Or maybe that's you or maybe that's your spouse standing next to you and, and you need prayer for that situation. Maybe you need a job like some other people this morning. Man, you need provision in your life. You need finances in your life. And bring that request to God. Let's bring it to him this morning. Just like Pastor Tim said, we're gonna bring those things to the foot of the cross today, amen? Would you bow your heads across this place? If that's you and you say, Pastor Trevor, I need some prayer for any of these things. You know if you have a need in your life, you have a request that you need to bring before God. God's saying, use your words today, be bold today. And he wants you just to raise your hand as a sign of surrender, as a sign of saying, I am giving this to you today. I can't do it in my own power, but I need you to help me with this. Or if you need to get right with Jesus, you wanna say yes to him today, man, you need to raise your hand too. So I'm gonna say that on the count of three, let's all raise our hand if that's you. One, two, three, you need Jesus today to work in your life. Come on, hands going up all across this space today. Over half of y'all have your hands up right now. This is a beautiful thing. Come on, keep your hands up for a moment. Let's Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we come before you right now. We ask for forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we have gone against you and against your plan. Lord, would you forgive us? Help us to forgive others that have wronged us. And God, we just want to take a second and give you praise. We want to give you honor. We want to give you glory. You are God who has so much better plans than us. Man, we've been trying to do it on our own for too long, but God, we need your plans. We don't want good plans. We want God plans. We don't want our will. God, we want your will. And right now we ask for our daily bread, for our provision. Man, there's somebody in here that needs a job. God, we speak jobs. We speak purpose. We speak destiny over every single person here that is in need of provision right now. God, let them not just do something that they're just making a paycheck. Give them something they're passionate about, that they're stepping into their purpose, their God-given destiny, Lord. And Lord, right now, there's somebody that's sick in this place today. God, we ask for healing in the name of Jesus. By your stripes, we are healed in the name of Jesus. Come on. Hey, I want to encourage you today. If that's you, will you just start speaking out? Use your words today. Let's lift up some praise and prayer in this place. Come on, ask God for what you need. Get with your spouse. Get with your friend. Get with somebody next to you that you can pray with if you need to. But man, let's pray. Let's ask God in this place. Don't let it just be me praying. Man, you use your words. Speak to God. He wants to hear from you today, whatever that need is. Come on, worship him in this place. Jesus, we're so grateful for you. There's somebody in here today that has not been living for you. They need to get right with you today. And Jesus, I need you to tell them how much you love them. I need you to intersect their life, intercept where they're at right now and change their course in the name of Jesus. God, we repent from our sin. We turn from our sin and we move towards you. God, we need you in this place. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, can somebody lift up a shout of praise to Jesus in this place? If you have faith that he's gonna respond to you today. Amen.
One of the ways that we can worship Jesus collectively as a church is by taking communion. We do this once a month. And I'd love for you to take the communion cup right now. And go ahead and open the top. The Bible says we do this in remembrance of Jesus and his sacrifice. Lord Jesus, if I cannot get this top off. With God, all things are possible. In Luke 22, it says, this is Jesus. He took the bread, Jesus did, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We believe that Jesus took on the sins of all mankind. He had nails in his hands and nails in his feet, was put on the cross. He was beaten, bruised, had a crown of thorns put on his head. So much massive beating, almost to the point of death, before he even made it to the cross. And Jesus gave his body for you and for me. The Bible says that there's no greater love than this than to lay one's life down for a friend. You know, Jesus, when you follow him, he calls you his friend. And he laid his life down for you and for me. I want you to take 20, 30 seconds pray with someone next to you, pray on your own if you're here by yourself, just take some time and thank Jesus for the body that he gave for you and for me. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We worship you, God. We thank you for your body. We thank you that you gave your body for us, Lord Jesus. You didn't despise going to the cross, but you went to the cross willingly, Lord, knowing that it was for me, knowing it was for somebody here today, knowing it was for the whole world, God. spit on, all this stuff I can't even imagine. And yet you did it for me, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, take the bread whenever you're ready. You may open the cup. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup that is poured out for you. Or this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What does that mean? The new covenant. There was an old covenant. God had given a specific set of rules and laws to Moses and the Israelites. They had over 600 laws that they had to follow perfectly. And if they messed up ever, what they had to do? They had to sacrifice an animal. They came to God on the altar. They would sacrifice this animal. And that's how they paid and they atoned for their sins, that they had sinned against God. We know that the wages of sin is death. And praise God that he made a way that they didn't have to die, but they, they had something had to die, unfortunately. So God made a way through these animal sacrifices. That's, that was the system he had set up. But Jesus comes on the scene. He says, listen, we got a new way of doing things. I'm the new wine. I'm not going to fit into the old structure anymore. I'm changing something. It's called a new covenant. It's a new promise that I have for you and for me. 
I'm gonna give my blood to pay for all of the sins of all of mankind once and for all. I'm gonna take on everything. The Bible says that he that knew no sin became sin. Every sin that you have ever committed, every bad thing you have ever done, Jesus had to take that upon himself and become that as he was on the cross. The father turned his face and his eyes away from Jesus. The only time that it ever happened. I can't imagine the awful feeling that Jesus had not being able to commune with his father in that way as he's dying on the cross, but he's thinking of you and he's thinking of me because he loves you so much. So this is a new covenant and Jesus paid for every sin. So as we take this cup, I want you to take about another 20 seconds and thank him for his blood. Thinking that it's his blood that changes us, that washes us clean. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your blood. God, I thank you that it is your blood that washes us white as snow. Your blood is what has changed everything for us. It is not by our power, but it is by the blood and the power of Jesus Christ that I am saved, that I am changed, that I am made whole, that I am not bound to sin any longer, but I am able to live an abundant life with you, Jesus. Now I'm able to have eternal life. God, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. I don't know what that felt like as a father to send your son to the cross like that, but God, I'm so grateful that you did because I have an abundant life. I remember what I was like before you, Jesus. I remember what I was like when I was running away from you and now here today I'm able to stand here righteous whole a new creation in Christ because of this blood Jesus thank you for your blood in the name of Jesus amen amen come on take the cup together amen I need somebody in this place to get excited for 10 seconds and give honor and praise to Jesus give him a hand clap give him a shout Jesus you are good you are worthy We love you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. And we believe that you are answering prayers here today. In the name of Jesus, let it be done. Amen. Come on. Hey, uh, thank you so much for worshiping with us today, for praying with us today, for believing God for big things. That's what we're about at Radical Church. We don't believe for small things. We believe for big things because we serve a big God. Amen. Hey, if you are new, once again, thank you so much for coming. Please meet us right over here. I'd love to introduce you to our staff to get you connected to the church. Uh, God bless you. Thank you so much.